You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. It's not only heartbreaking, it's unacceptable. That's the key. You know, we said we are not in a famine situation. We are, we see food everywhere. It's unacceptable that we have children who are going hungry. I've always been really interested in teaching and really interested in, in education in general and the role that it, that it plays in society. And music doesn't immediately have that direct connection to the social good um, that education does. I'm often trying to, trying to figure out ways that will that will connect it um, to something bigger. Essentially what it is, it's a running grown-up obstacle course race where everybody starts and you slide down basically a wet mountain and then you run through a swamp and then you have to climb up a hill and you have to push over hay bales and you have to crawl on your belly through total darkness and then you have to run through an unmarked forest and then you have to get through a mud field and then you have to climb a ladder wall and then you have to walk a plank and forge a stream and push tractor tires. I don't imagine that I'm going to be finishing first or even 10th, but I, I'm just looking forward to the day, spending it with you know my teammates and having people cheer us on while we're looking like fools, doing tomfoolery things. It's kind of fun. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 90, Sharing Strength airing for the first time on Sunday, June 2nd, 2013. Today's guests include Kristen Mele, president of the Good Shepherd Food Bank, Max Garcia Conover, musician and teacher at the Breakwater School, and Chris Cast and Byron Bartlett, two members of the Team Spice team, along with Deb Ivey, which will be participating in the Dynamic Dirt Challenge today. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is a shared venture. Two years ago, we connected with Susan Grisanti and Kevin Thomas of Maine Magazine and floated the idea of a wellness-oriented radio show based in Maine. They supported us from day one, giving us a space to record the show, promoting the show through their magazines and social media, and suggesting possible guests. This past January, we became an official production of Maine Magazine and the Maine Media Collective. This radio show is made possible through the shared work of many. Strength shared is strength multiplied. Maine Magazine... Maine Home Design, and the Maine Media Collective have recognized this from the beginning. They have long sponsored local nonprofits and supported their efforts to effect positive change in Maine. This week, Maine Magazine is hosting the six-day Kenny Bunkport Festival, celebrating the finest food, wine, and art in Maine. Highlights from the festival include Pop the Kenny Bunks, the Cellar Door Grand Tasting, Brews and Tunes, and the Art of Dining Private Dinners. Proceeds from the Art of Dining go to Share Our Strength, an organization providing hunger relief in Maine. Each of our guests today represents a sharing of strength.
Kristen Mele, president of Good Shepherd Food Bank, works with Share Our Strength to feed Maine's families. Max Garcia Conover, musician and teacher, shares proceeds from his albums with social justice organizations. Chris Cast and Byron Bartlett, participating in the Dynamic Dirt Challenge, will be benefiting Strive and the Center for Grieving Children. We are fortunate to be surrounded by those who share their strength regularly. We are fortunate that Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and those who work at Maine Magazine and the Maine Media Collective enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast to you each week. We hope you will consider sharing your own special strength with the world. One of the very first shows we did on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour was with the Good Shepherd Food Bank and the then-director, Rick Small. A lot has changed in the time that we've been doing the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We are now on show number 90, and today we have with us Kristen Maley, who is the current president of the Good Shepherd Food Bank here in Maine. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Kristen, I know that a lot has changed since we had our first show. I don't know. I think it was probably about 80 episodes ago. Mm. There's a lot of transitions happening, but really it's the same mission, and that is getting food to the people of Maine who need it. That's Let, correct. Let's first talk about um, what is the definition of a food bank? Well, a food bank really is the grocery store, if you will, to all the ending hunger organizations around the state. So food pantries, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, they um, serve the end client, but they come to Good Shepherd Food Bank to get all the food that they need to run their programs. And so by being a member of Good Shepherd, they're able to get food through us at significantly reduced cost, oftentimes even for free, um, so that they're able to do the work that they do every day. And so the food bank, um, it's the largest hunger relief organization in the state, and we provide uh, approximately 13 million pounds of food to over 600 agencies around the state, serving um, about 100,000 Mainers every year. Has this number gone up in recent years? It has. It's gone up significantly. Since the recession hit, um, our food pantries report um, upwards of a 50% increase in the need. And I think what's most striking is um, for many food pantries will say, you know, we used to see the same families and we got to know them. And and, um, and these were just kind of chronically um, poor people who needed our assistance. And they said, and now we're seeing people who who were employed, we're seeing carpenters, we're seeing artists, we're seeing um, people who we've never seen before come to the food, food pantries. And they're also seeing more and more families coming regularly, as opposed to it being a once a month or um, kind of an episodic need. It's now more of a chronic weekly need. Before you took on the role as president at the Good Shepherd Food Bank, you were the founder and program director of Cooking Matters. That's correct. And Cooking Matters, of course, is um, an educational program that comes under the aegis of Share Our Strength. That's right. So, Sarah, tell me about Cooking Matters, because we, we've had some information about this on the show before. I think about a year ago, John Woods came in and talked about Share Our Strength, and we had, I believe, Jeff Landry talking about Cooking Matters. But this was your original, this was your baby. It was. It was a program that I started. Um, I started volunteering in different um, soup kitchens and food pantries, um, 
probably around 2007, 2008. And um, I am somebody who is very passionate about food, um, but I also care about eating healthy. And when I started volunteering, I was really surprised at um, a lot of the poor quality of food that was that was being given out. And I just started asking questions about, you know, why can't we get healthier food to, to these people in need? And a common um, answer I was given was that um, if we give people fresh vegetables and fresh protein, they don't know what to do with it because nobody knows how to cook. Um, and so I started offering cooking classes and it, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And and um, and and I stumbled upon Cooking Matters while researching um, getting funding. And uh, and it was just, it was the program that I've I've always dreamed of. And so I reached out to them and, and asked, how can we get this program in Maine? Um, and then I reached out to John Woods and we connected there and John helped secure some funding and it just all kind of took off from there. So in 2010, we launched Cooking Matters for Maine. Um, and then I brought the program to Good Shepherd Food Bank, knowing that it, it needed a, a, a bigger home in order to reach even more people. And um, I'm now very happy to say we have Cooking Matters classes going in every single county in the state. Um, and what I think is so great about this program and why it's such a great fit to have it as part of the food bank is it really addresses one of the root causes of hunger. Um, we obviously need to feed people who need to be fed, but we really start, we need to also look at how can we really solve the problem and teaching people how to cook is a is a great way to actually solve the hunger problem because what happens too often is when um, is when people have limited resources, um, they tend to run out of those resources, obviously, before they're able to purchase more food. And Cooking Matters shows them how they can stretch their food dollars, how to purchase food more thoughtfully. Um, even something as simple as shopping by unit price is a common skill that most people don't have. And so we're able to teach them those skills in addition to eating healthy so they improve um, their ability to work and be productive citizens. And all of that really goes after tackling the root causes of hunger. Hunger has a very different face than it used to. Not only the type of person that is that is going to the food bank or the food pantry, but also how it manifests. You have people who may look as though they are overfed mm -hmm. because perhaps they're overweight or obese, but they really are nutritionally depleted. Talk to me a little bit about that. That's correct. It's We have a real paradox going on in America right now, and, and it stems from the fact that when you have a limited amount of money to buy food, you're going to purchase as much food as you can for that money. And so in our society, what that means is a lot of cheap, simple carbohydrates. And so we have now an entire population of people that are overweight, but also malnourished. Um, and so what we see at the food bank is a real a real change in our role from being not just a provider of calories, but a provider of nutrition. Um, and seeing that people don't lack access to um, the calories, they lack access to the nutritious food. And we, I mean, we all see it in the grocery store, you know, the, the fresh foods are oftentimes the most expensive. And so, um, and, and, and it tends to perpetuate again, this problem of, of the pov of poverty, because when you're overweight, then all of a sudden you have all the problems that come with obesity. You have the uh, lower income people have higher rates of, of heart disease, of diabetes, of hypertension, which then makes their healthcare costs go up. It impacts their ability to work and care for our children. And that cycle continues. At the same time, what I understand from our conversation uh, yesterday is that this all began, food banking began because supermarkets and other large um, facilities were looking to get uh, to give their excess 
to a place that could then distribute it to other people who might want it. Um, so what I understand is that there is more fresh meat, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables that is being made available to the food bank. And doesn't this create some problems as far as distribution? It, it does. It's um, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> um, you know, the food banks all around the country started on the same model where um, the large grocery store chains would have these distribution centers and they would, um, when they'd have excess inventory, it would come back to what they call the reclamation center and that food would then be brought to the food banks. And all of that was non-perishable food. It was primarily canned goods. Um, and then that was the food that was then stored in warehouses and sent out to food pantries. And so most food banks have large infrastructure of dry storage, and all of their food pantries tend to have little to no storage and are maybe open one day a week, one, some are only open one day a month, but it worked. Um, what we're seeing now is grocery stores have less and less of the non-perishable food. However, they have more and more of the perishable food. Um, I, I still am amazed at the size of the produce departments in my local grocery store now. Um, and same with the seafood department and the meat department. And the wonderful thing is that food, we all know, is the healthiest food. So that's the food now that grocery stores have um, much more um, supply of to give to food banks. However, five years ago, that food was all being thrown out. Um, and grocery stores now are recognizing the need um, to really be zero waste um, uh, organizations, both from an environmental perspective, a cost perspective, and from a community perspective. And so we're partnering with a lot of the major retail chains in the state to get that perishable food. So the problem we have is our whole infrastructure is based on non-perishable food. Um, a 54,000 square foot dry storage warehouse doesn't help you with a tractor trailer load of kale. <laughs> so we now are having more refrigerated trucks. Um, we now have large freezers and walk-in coolers. We're now helping to secure grants for our food pantry partners because they need refrigeration. Um, and I think the biggest challenge to us is the turnover because obviously by the time it comes off the shelf at the grocery store, we have maybe 48 hours to turn that around. So it's a significant challenge. Um, however, the great news about this is is this is healthy food. And this is the food that we know low-income families have the least access to. So it's um, it's a solution that we're going to get our hands around and, um, and really start to make a difference. So why is there less availability of the non-perishable food? Uh, it's really just a matter of improving business systems. You know, over um, over the past two decades, um, data, there's the, the rise of big data. Um, and I, I just know there have been several times when I've been in my grocery store, and I swear when I pull off the last can of beans, there's the stock boy opening up the box, putting on the new can of beans. And that's just um, how things go. And and we, we all benefit from that because that leads to more efficient food systems and lower prices. So um, it's a good thing that's happening overall, and that's certainly not going to change. So it just forces us to get more creative, find new new sources for food, um, which we've been very successful in doing. We are we're we're getting more food out than we ever have before. It's just a, more costly to go and get it, and takes a little bit more creative thinking. But the food is out there. I mean, to me, the most really motivating thing about this work is um, feeding people is quite simple. 
And people aren't hungry in Maine because there isn't enough food. I mean, any trip to the grocery store will tell you that. We are not in a famine situation. Um, We are not in a third world kind of famine situation. We have the food. It's just a matter of getting it to the people who need it. So it's, of all the complicated problems out there, this is probably one of the simplest. And I also think it's one of the problems where if we solve this one, we're going to be that much more able to solve some of the other more complicated problems. Um, We always say, especially with feeding a child, um, you can't prepare a child to go out and succeed if they're hungry. And so how many of the problems of low-income children could we solve just by making sure they have a full stomach every morning? This is not your first go-around. I mean, you're, you're young. But you have had other careers before this. Um, You were a a financial analyst for quite a while. You've done a lot of work in the business world. And somehow this whole nonprofit thing came about and you said, I can use these skills in the nonprofit world. How did that come to be? Um, Well, I've always definitely been one of those people where I I always said, someday I want to own my own something. <laughs> um, and and so being a financial analyst and, and a business consultant allowed me to work with business owners for years, which I just loved. And I loved helping them solve problems and um, love crunching the numbers to figure out what the real issues were. Um, and I saw how much business owners just, they lived and breathed their work. And, um, and I was always envious of that. But I also recognized that if you're ever going to be this be the one to raise your hand and say, I want to be in charge. You need to love what you do. And I had yet to ever find something that really spoke to me um, and make me willing to make that kind of commitment. And so when I started volunteering, um, because I wasn't getting that fulfillment from my, from my day job, at least not, um, I've been getting, you know, intellectual fulfillment, but not spiritual fulfillment, if you will. So, um, and I was getting that through volunteering and, um, and that was when I was just seeing a real need, um, to, for, for, it sounds so cliche to say, you know, more business type principles in the nonprofit world, because you hear that all the time, but, um, but, but that is kind of what it needed in that this is, you know, the, the food banking world is going through a real seismic shift in, in the whole business model. And, um, you know, just following your heart isn't going to solve all those problems. And it just, we need to, we need to get into really looking at the data, seeing what the data is telling us, um, optimizing our resources and, and really thinking hard about finding creative solutions to the problem. We'll return to our program in a moment. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast, we've long understood the important link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the subject is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Our first currency was food. Our second was sharing, and out of this comes the most important currency, love. These three ideas make us stronger. These ideas allow us to go out and pursue what is important to us, bring it back, and be rewarded. Every other passion is derived from these three. To protect ourselves from death, we need food. To manage, we need to share, and to make it all worthwhile, we need to pursue love. In our modern economy, money allows our love to travel further. It allows us to share the strength of our community with those who need a helping hand. It is said that love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But food and love are not evil, and neither is our money. Currency is the unit of energy we use to share our strength. At Shepherd Financial, if we're good at anything, it's helping to reconnect your passion to the idea of sharing in a world that needs money to buy food. 
We'd love to help make you stronger. Come and share our strength at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. It's not just following your heart, but it is following your heart and using your head. That's right. And I know that you know this. I mean, you were a board member and treasurer of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Southern Maine. Um, and you told me a story, I believe, yesterday about um, that sort of cemented in my mind why you do this sort of thing, about a child who was asked by the teacher, you know, are you excited about vacation? Yeah. Yeah, this was in, I was at a meeting in Bangor a few weeks ago, and a kindergarten teacher was sharing with us uh, that she was talking with her students about the upcoming vacation and just, you know, thinking the kids would all be excited. And and a little boy raised his hand and said, well, I'm not excited about vacation because that means I'm going to be hungry. And, uh, and this is a story we hear from teachers all the time who really, I think more than anyone, see the effect of hunger on children. Um, and something as as simple as a summer, as a vacation, which you don't think of enjoying a vacation shouldn't be a privilege. It should be something that every child has the opportunity to do. And the fact that knowing that that school meal that they rely on is is going to go away, um, and that impact on a child is just it's it's heartbreaking. And um, and John Woods always says this, and I completely agree. It's not only heartbreaking; it's unacceptable. And and, and that that's the key that it's. You know, we said we are not in a famine situation. We are, we see food everywhere. It's unacceptable that we have children who are going hungry. Well, we're coming up on summer, and you just described a child who um, was away from school for for a week, for summer, for a vacation break. Summer break is weeks long. How do you at the Good Shepherd Food Bank deal with um, the hunger that's associated with being away from food sources that are available at school? The the real savior for summer for children is the summer food program, which is similar program to the school lunch program during the school year. Um, it comes from the same. It's federally funded, has had bipartisan support for decades, um, and it provides um, it provides money to purchase lunches for children who qualify for school lunch, and they can get them during the summer months. Um, the problem we have um, in Maine and throughout the rest of the country is um, finding more and more host sites to actually be willing to to do these lunches. So last year, Good Shepherd became a host site for the first time, and we did three sites um, in Bangor. And we were the first summer food program to get launched in the city of Bangor, which is the second largest city in Maine, has a significant amount of of hungry children, and there was no summer lunch program. Um, we're launching um, a, 
uh, other sites in, in Ellsworth and Brewer um, this summer as well. Um, but unfortunately, it's we still only have 15% of children who are eligible to get this lunch receive it. And it's, it's, it's extreme burden on the parents because the parents are used to these children getting their meals from the school. Um, and now we, it's an estimate of approximately 200 additional meals the parents need to come up with. And as we know, they're already strapped. Um, and we hear this from our food pantries that they see the demand go up in the summer because parents have to replace this meal they rely on during the school year um, through the food pantry. So it, it's a real challenge. What about the people who might say, well, there's food stamps, there's federal assistance, and why can't people just go get food stamps and exist off that and feed their children off that? What do you say about that? Well, food stamps is a great program. Um, They changed the name to SNAP. We don't know why. Everyone still knows it as food stamps. Um, And it's a fantastic program. It's an extremely efficient program. Um, But what many people don't realize is how limiting the program is. approximately 40% of the people that we see come through the food pantry programs don't qualify for SNAP. Um, most SNAP is is mostly for families with children. So if you're a single adult, you only qualify for up to three months of the year for, for food stamps. Um, and the other nine months, you're on your own. Um, and it also doesn't provide enough. It, it helps. It certainly helps. But it provides approximately $1.38 per person per meal. Um, which if anyone's ever tried to buy lunch for $1.38, even if you're buying it at the grocery store and making it yourself, it's pretty challenging. Um, We know the average meal in Maine is $2.75. So there's a significant gap there. Um, There's also the gap that that, that in order to qualify for SNAP, the the threshold is around um, $30,000 for a family of four. And we know that more than half the people on SNAP actually make less than half of that. So it's it's more of a question of, yes, SNAP is there, and we want people to utilize it. Um, but even with that, it's, it's not enough. And then the opposite is true. You'll have people who will say, well, okay, let's get rid of SNAP. Let's get rid of food stamps, and maybe we should have this all be... Um, taken care of by charitable organizations like the Good Shepherd Food Bank. Is that possible? It, no, we, it, the need would, would definitely crush crush the, the food banking system. Um, I think there's great value in Neighbors Feeding Neighbors, and the charitable organizations do amazing work. Our network of food pantry partners are unbelievable, and I think there's great value in community wealth that's built through this through this system. But this system really is meant to be a filler. It's meant to be a supplement. So we talked about how SNAP doesn't go all the way to meeting a family's needs. That's where the food pantry comes in. We help them stretch those dollars. We help them fill in that gap. But when you look across the country, um, SNAP provides about $85 billion worth of food to people in need. The entire food banking system is $5 billion. So there is no way that that system could absorb, I mean, even a 10% cut would be, would be asking the system to more than double, which is, which is really unsustainable. Kristen, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show to talk about the Good Shepherd Food Bank was because of your relationship with Share Our Strength and the work that Share Our Strength is doing with Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, the Maine Media Collective, and the Kenny Bunkport Festival, which is coming up very soon, and also the Taste of the Nation, which is coming up very soon. Those are two very exciting events that people can take part in. Um, What other ways can people get involved so that they can help their hungry neighbors in the state of Maine? 
there are many ways, and, and what I like is is everybody has something to share, right? That's the whole philosophy of share strength, which I just love. Um, and as we said, attending events is a great way to do it, and it's a lot of fun, and share strength puts on some of the best events in the state. Um, if some people, though, have time, um, and if that's the case, you know, uh, Good Shepherd utilizes over 1,500 volunteers every year. Food pantries need volunteers. So whether you want to get involved at the state level or in your own backyard, um, you can contact your local pantry or Good Shepherd and volunteer. Um, we always need food, same thing. Um, and we always, you know, especially, you know, keep it local. If you want to do a food drive just amongst your friends in your community, contact your local food pantry, and they would love to receive those food, those food donations. So we we say it's it's time, dollars, and food. We need all three, and everybody has something to give. And um, it's it's going to take everybody collectively to solve this problem. We know we're we we do amazing work at the food bank with our food pantry partners, but we're still only reaching half the people who need our help. So there's still a lot of work to do. Kristen, how do people find out about the Good Shepherd Food Bank? They can go online to feedingmaine.org is the best way, and um, and all the information is there. There's also a food map on our website where you can enter your zip code, and it will tell you where your local food pantry is with contact information as well. So if people who are listening actually have need for food themselves, then they can also access those resources. That's right. They can use the food map and get information about their local pantry. Um, also, 211 is a wonderful resource provided by United Way that will give them additional information and not just food resources, but, um, but other resources available to help them. We've been speaking with Kristen Maley, the president of Good Shepherd Food Bank, um, that has been affiliated with Share Our Strength for quite a long time. And um, Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, we're proud to be affiliated with Share Our Strength. And we're really excited to be able to be a part of helping feed our Maine neighbors. So thank you so much for all the work you're doing in this area. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. There was a time that I spent about a four-year period of my life I spent in the desert, in the Sonoran Desert, and I would fly out there three or four times a year and spend about a week with my shaman. I had a shaman at that time, and he taught me how to see nature. He taught me everything that I wasn't seeing. I, I'm going to read to you something out of The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram, and I think it's very profound and speaks to us what a shaman really is and what a shaman actually does. The shaman acts as an intermediary between the human community and the larger ecological field, ensuring that there is an appropriate flow of nourishment, not just from the landscape to the human inhabitants, but from the human community back to the local earth. The relationship between human society and the larger society of beings is balanced and reciprocal. This is essentially what a shaman does, sort of a midwife, I guess you might say, between land and community. And it's important to know that we all have a little shaman in all of us and be aware of that wisdom and that piece of us that really can understand and, 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 and meld with nature and understand nature. I'm Ted Carter, and if you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at tedcarterdesign.com. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. 
Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendinitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. At the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we believe we are helping to build a better world with the help of many. We like to bring to you people who are examples of those building a better world in the areas of wellness, health, and fitness. To talk to you today about one of these, fitness, is Jim Greeterichs, the president of Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical. Here's Jim. We are proud to announce Premier Sports Health at Black Bear Medical in Portland. Premier Sports Health is our new sports medicine retail division located within the Black Bear Medical Store. It caters to the athlete of all ages, whether you are a student athlete, weekend warrior, avid runner, cyclist, skier, triathlete, or looking to recover from an injury, we have the products you are searching for. Come on down to 275 Marginal Way or look us up online at premiersportshealth.com. The interview that I'm about to begin today is one that's going to be a little bit different than usual because it's going to involve one of my favorite things in the entire world, which is music. This interview is with Max Garcia Conover, who is a musician and teacher at the Breakwater School who has recently released his first full-length album, Burrow, through Clip Records. So Max, give us a few lines of one of your most recent songs. Sure, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Tell me about that song. Um, it's called The Wedding Line, um, and it's 
uh, most of my songs aren't really about sort of one thing because when I try to make them about one thing, I end up getting really sick of singing them quickly. And um, but one of the things that that song's about is uh, I think for a long time um, growing up, I sort of felt like uh, I understood everybody around me, my family and my friends, and like you know, like at a big event like a wedding or something, I would go and 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 feel like I understood all those people and. Um, but they didn't quite understand me, you know, and like, and I was, I was actually going to be like much, much bigger and much, um, uh, like very, you know, important, you know, and whereas they had, you know, their nice little lives. And, uh, um, so the song is, and I think that's sort of a natural feeling that you, that you grow out of. Um, and, uh, the song is sort of about growing out of that and, and, um, moving away from that. Max, you and I both went to Bowdoin, the small liberal arts college just up the road here in Brunswick. And although it has a really great um, classical music scene, and of course has the um, the Medi Bemsters, and right. you know it has the it has a musical theater scene, it's not known as much for the singer songwriter scene. Yeah. And how did you work this into um, your education there? And you know what kind of an impact did the Bowdoin education have on your approach to the world? Huh. Um, yeah, it, it was, I, I, being a songwriter was always something that was very separate from, from my studies at, at Bowdoin. Um, uh, I had a few friends that I would, that would, I would play music with, um, uh, and that was great, but I didn't really, I never studied music at, at Bowdoin, and, and um, I didn't. I didn't really pursue it while I was there. Um, I would spend the summer sort of making music, and then at Bowdoin, I would be more focused on um, classes. And uh, I was a government major, and so that kind of thing. Um, I, I went into Bowdoin wanting to be a uh, um, political speechwriter, and um, and so I studied government, and, and I think that in, informed my songwriting. Um, it definitely did, and um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't have that real direct connection. It seems as though the education at Bowdoin, though, did help as far as the social justice um, notion. Although I think you had this going into Bowdoin from um, our conversations before, that you sent a portion of sales from your last EP, yeah, okay, yeah. to the Chowanki Foundation, right. and then from this album to the Evergreen Health Services, which is a nonprofit um, working to bring medical service and support people living with AIDS. So there's this whole. You may not have become a government speechwriter, right. but you still have this strong interest in social justice. Yeah, yeah, and it's great that you use that term, social justice. Um, there's this. Uh, one professor at Bowdoin who I really connected with um, right when I got there and stayed connected with even still and um, her thing was very much social justice and she was an education teacher and um, and and I think that does really um, really inform how I approach being a musician and um, I've always been really interested in teaching and um, Really interested in, in education in general and the role that it that it plays in um, society and uh, music doesn't doesn't have doesn't immediately have that that direct connection to the social good um, that education does and so I'm I'm 
I'm often trying to trying to figure out ways that will that will connect it um, to something bigger. I mean, I think I think music is a worthwhile thing to do in and of itself, um, but being an independent musician requires so much self promotion and and um, talking about yourself that um, it's just a much easier thing for me to do if I feel like it's connected to something bigger. Yeah, it is an interesting and tough thing. And we've spoken with other artists before who are more visual artists, and they talk about this sort of simultaneous need to go within yourself to create, but then to go outside of yourself to promote. Yeah. And they're two very different um, aspects of one's mind and one's life. Yeah. Um, and then if you're... If, if it's easier for you to be able to say, okay, well, there's a common good, I'm going to promote this, and it's going to help not only me, but somebody else, yeah. then I think that that, it seems like that's a worthwhile approach. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I'm, yeah, it, it, it's also a mutually beneficial um, thing because it, it, you know, I, I can give a little money to to the cause. And, and on top of that, I, um, I get to sort of show my... Uh, my fans or people who are new to my music, um, what what I care about, and um, um, and hopefully, it just sort of grounds the the music in in yeah in a greater context. And there is a tradition of this sort of thing. Joan, totally, Joan Baez. Yeah. Um, um, more recently, I'm trying to remember the feed the world people with the Christmas albums. Right. And I mean, there's been a lot of this sort of thing yeah. um, in the past. And yeah. to have you as an independent musician doing that um, kind of continues on a tradition that I think a lot of people um, would like to do. Yeah, yeah. And even in Portland, you see it happening all the time. Um, musicians um, playing for free for um, benefit concerts or... Um, yeah, recording videos or something that you know are all to support some some cause that they believe in. Um, yeah, that's actually a really important point. As you're talking, I'm realizing that John McCain, who's our um, audio producer, he just did a concert recently that was for um, to benefit a man with cancer. And actually, I know that John has done many of these types of things. I know you're also coming up and you're doing. Um, uh, Kenny Bunkport Festival yeah, gig, and right. of course, money is going to share our strength, right. which is the hunger relief organization in Maine. So, it seems like musicians and artists are very much valued for the ability to kind of um, open up people's hearts and right. really help them to understand that there are needs that are beyond what we sometimes think about in our lives. Um, can there be another side to it, which is that? you may not always get the money you need to pay the mortgage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think music is, is a um, very undervalued thing in general. Um, financially undervalued, not, um, you know, I think people really value music, but, like, it's, it's uh, you know, there's this whole thing going on right now about internet, um, internet radio and how much musicians are getting paid and whether they'll be paid, you know, a tiny fraction of what the internet radio sites are making or an even tinier fraction of what the internet radio sites are making and um, but trying to make music into a business is, is a is a really challenging thing um, and made even more challenging by the fact that so many musicians want to want to be helpful and want to um, ground their music in in the you know social good as a singer songwriter and teacher um you not only have to have this sort of outgoing energy, but you also have to be able to pull back and create. 
what inspires you? Usually other music, um, other other songs. I when I hear a, a good song, um, I just get like this feeling like I wish I had written that song, and so I and so I go off and I try to I try to write that song, um, but it ends up coming out as something something different, uh, and yeah. So that's a really I mean. Um, really direct source of inspiration for me um, but often it's it's going to new places um, uh, doing new things that that um, end up giving that sort of spark of inspiration um, a lot of the time it's what I'm reading um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a relatively quiet um, person and uh, sort of introverted person and um, so uh, I'm often driven to write a song and inspired to write a song because um, there are things that I want to say, um, but I don't always put myself in those sort of social situations where anybody's there to hear me, so I um, say it through through songs. Max, how can people find out about your latest album, Burrow, or the work that you're doing with Evergreen Health Services? The easiest way is just to go to maxgarciaconover.com. Um, you can listen to the album from there and uh, see the shows and um, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and then uh, evergreenhs.org, uh, I think, is the, um, the website for Evergreen Health Services. Evergreen Health Services is a nonprofit in western New York, um, where I'm originally from, that um, brings sort of support and medical services to people with AIDS. Um, which is a really uh, uh, personal issue for me and um, um, something I've been uh, trying to figure out how, how to be involved in for a while. Um, yeah, so those are, the, those are the best ways. And you're going to be um, touring? I'm going to be touring, yeah. Um, I've got uh, um, a bunch of shows in, in, in May and, and June and then in about halfway through June, I'm just going to hit the road for six weeks or so and um, play all over the Northeast. Uh, um, I don't have a lot in Maine, actually. Uh, the next thing is at Artworks um, uh, at the Kennebunkport Festival. And then, uh, but I've got a lot, a lot of shows in New York and Boston and Philadelphia and yeah, stuff like that. And people can also read about you in the June issue of Maine Magazine. Yep. yep. And the article was conveniently written by Sophie Nelson. Conveniently, yeah. Yes. And it's actually, it's a very it's a very good article, and the picture is a great picture by Greta Ribas. So anybody who hasn't had a chance to uh, pick this up, they should, or they can look online at themainmag.com. Max, thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. We on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that our listeners enjoy their own work lives to the same extent we do, and fully embrace every day. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. No matter what we do for work, there's always a busy season, and it's very easy to become overwhelmed by all that needs doing. This is when one word needs to come to mind perspective. 
when we need to remember that no matter what, we all work hard to do our best and get things done efficiently and in a timely manner. At the end of the day, we need to look at what we've accomplished for the day and not obsess with what we didn't get done. Our to-do list or our inbox will never be empty. If it ever was, that would be kind of disappointing, don't you think? The nature of your in-basket is that it's meant to have things in it. In fact, it could be argued that a full basket is essential for success. It means your time is in demand. A favorite line from a John Lennon song I sing to my girls is, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. It rings so true. When it gets hectic, we need to acknowledge the fact that nothing is more important than our own sense of happiness and inner peace. Very little in our lives it truly falls into the emergency category, albeit some fall into urgency, but there is a significant dis difference. If we stay focused and prioritize, it will all get done. It always does. So when it gets a bit crazy in work or in life, remind yourself of what you've accomplished during that day. You'll be amazed and feel good about what's coming down the pike for tomorrow. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com this segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. The theme of this week's show is sharing strength. And many of the things that we do to share strength um, involve um, messiness of a sort. So we thought we'd have a couple of very dear friends of mine and also a co-worker of mine come in and talk to us about this messy thing that's going to be going on very soon called the Dynamic Dirt Challenge. In fact, today it is going on. We have Chris Cast and we have Byron Bartlett who are both going to be doing this Dynamic Dirt Challenge. Why do this dirty deed and how is it helping share strength with the people of Maine? Um, it's easy to answer the second question first because the why is still something that I'm still wondering about. Um, but um, the beneficiaries of this race are Strive and the Center for Grieving Children. And um, Strive is an organization that helps um, people with uh, mental impairment, Down syndrome, um, normalize into their, into their world. And my godson has Down syndrome. And uh, the Center for Grieving Children, as many people probably know, is a place that helps children who suffer loss of a parent or someone very close to them get through and understand the grieving process and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So those are both very important things to, to, to be part of, to help support. Um, the why for the Dynamic Dirt Challenge, I'll leave the answer to Byron. <laughs> why? I think it'll be fun. <laughs> it's chance to get dirty and, and have fun and you know, do something good. So people who don't know what the Dynamic Dirt Challenge is, describe this for them. 
Um, people have they've been described as tough mutters, but essentially what it is, it's a running grown-up obstacle course-like race where everybody starts and you slide down a, basically a wet mountain and then you run through a swamp and then you have to climb up a hill and you have to push over hay bales and you have to crawl on your belly through total darkness and then you have to run through an unmarked forest and then you have to get through a mud field and then you have to climb a ladder wall and then you have to walk a plank and forge a stream and push tractor tires. It's a chance to do all those things those fun things that you haven't done since you were a kid so as how do an you, adult. So how do you train for that? How have you been doing that, Byron? <laughs> um, well, running has been my only training recently. Um, but, you know, a few miles, I think I can handle most of the things. We'll see. You haven't been sliding over hay bales or crawling on your belly through the garden mud or anything like that? Not yet, although I, apparently we're going to be going um, running up Bradbury Mountain today or tomorrow. So, And actually, we're, um, we had been looking for places to go cow tipping, but that's just passe <laughs> in Maine. Um, for me, uh, getting ready for it is just getting ready mentally, understanding that there are, I have two goals in mind for this, to start and to finish. And I'm not running the race to beat anybody. I'm not running the race to prove anything except to myself that I can actually start and end something like this and have fun doing it. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. And be part of a community of people that are all in it for the same reason and all having fun for the same reason and all getting dirty and maybe spraining something. Maybe not. And our buddy Deb is doing it with us, too, right. so we're doing it as a team. Yeah, our yes. buddy Deb Ivy's doing What's it. What's the name of your team? Well, we're doing as Team Spice. And it's a joke because Deb Ivy's husband is Herb. So it was Team Spice without Herb or Herb. So that was our lame attempt at humor. And this is you, Chris, that was uh, coming up with this. I take it as the principal here at Branco, the main media collective. You're all Actually, about the creative. Believe it or not, it was me. Oh no! <laughs> so that is not a brand company brand. That is a Byron Bartlett of TD Bank brand. Now this sounds like kind of a lot of fun. I mean. I've known you both for a while, and um, we all do a lot of events together, a lot of dancing and socializing, and we're out and about. But this is something that you actually have to train for, and sometimes you have to train for it together, I would assume. Mm -hmm. What has this been like for your relationship? The training has just helped us, you know, keep each other motivated. You know, well, right, we have to do it. And, you know, having the dog, well, we have to get Maud out. And, you know, more focused over the past weeks of getting up and getting out after work. And even if I can't run four miles, just if Byron got home and had to run, I say, well, I have to go for a run. So it's just been able to keep motivated. And, and it's actually helped on a lot of levels, not just training for the race, but just relieving stress and just feeling better about myself in general, about ourselves in general. Mm -hmm. So you've had to be sharing strength even as you're training for this. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. This is an event that is also sponsored by Maine Magazine and the Maine Media Collective. Mm -hmm. Why does Maine Magazine care about the Dynamic Dirt Challenge? Um, it, that's a really, it's a good, I don't know that it's necessarily about the Dynamic Dirt Challenge as much as it's about sponsoring something that does so, so much 
good for the community. And that's what Maine Magazine and Maine Media Collective looks for is, you know, sponsorships are great, but they have to have impact. They have to do something for the greater good. They have to do something that really does things for the people of Maine. And I think that that's a really strong filter through which all sponsorships get um, vetted. And, you know, this in particular is, is something that's near and dear to everybody's heart. And um, it's put on by um, She Jams. And, you know, that was actually started by, you know, a breast cancer survivor. And, again, it's something that just keeps giving back and back to the community. So I think that that's a real part that's, that's in the fiber of, of Maine Media Collective and Maine Magazine. That's really baked right in or woven right into the fiber of who we are and what we're trying to do. Byron, what are your goals? I'd like to do a little bit better than start and finish. I'd like to not break anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, again, I don't have any, I'm, I don't imagine that I'm going to be finishing first or even 10th, you know, but I, I'm just looking forward to the day, spending it with, you know, my teammates and having, you know, people cheer us on while we're looking like fools doing tomfoolery things. It's kind of fun. How can people find out about the Dynamic Dirt Challenge? Well, they can go to dynamicdirtchallenge.com, and they can take a look at the course. There's um, a photo gallery of um, lunatics like us who've done it before, and they just keep people updated, and it actually shows the course map. And it is, it, it's, run, it's being run at Pineland Farms in New Gloucester, which is an amazing, amazing property. So that in and of itself is going to be a treat, to be able to run around this incredibly pristine bucolic piece of Maine that's right in our backyard in New Gloucester which will be yeah, it's, it's part of the magic. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about the dynamic dirt challenge and I, I believe that um, you both bring so much good into the world and you're just bringing more good into the world by going out and doing this event for the Center for Grieving Children and for Strive and thanks for putting the time in to train for this and I don't know thanks for being a part of my world. Chris Cast and Byron Bartlett, good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having us. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 90, Sharing Strength. Our guests have included Kristen Mele, president of the Good Shepherd Food Bank, Max Garcia Conover, musician and teacher at Breakwater School, and Chris Cast and Byron Bartlett of the Dynamic Dirt Challenge. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the Kennebunkport Festival and how it benefits Share Our Strength here in Maine, visit kennebunkportfestival.com. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable me and us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. They help us share our strength. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, hoping that you have enjoyed our Sharing Strength show. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Premier Sports Health, a division of Black Bear Medical, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, 
Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.